Saver 2011. Coverage by Craft Beer Radio from Friday, June 3rd. Private Tasting Salon. From the Vault. Vintage Beer and Chocolate Truffles. With the beer evangelist Fred Bultman of New Holland. My name is Ginger Johnson. I am the founder and ringleader of Women Enjoying Beer. I uh, am a beer diplomat and educator to get more women engaged in beer. Uh, there we go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, because it's, it's women engaged in beer. There's less, less than 30% of women around the country are engaged in beer, and I'm here to change that. So um, here you are at Saver. This is the fourth annual. We are extremely excited you're here. I have a little housekeeping I'm going to run through. Um, so if you all mind your P's and Q's. We'll get to it. Um, this event is brought to you, of course, by the Brewers Association. It is a nonprofit trade association that uh, advances the cause of craft brewers in America, and we're extremely glad they're here. Uh, this is the fourth year, and it's growing every year, clearly. Uh, how many of you have been to Saver before? All right, great. And we've got several newbies. Excellent. This is great. That's exactly what we're after. There's well over 1,700 breweries, craft breweries in the United States right now. There's 600 and some in planning. That's mind-boggling. It's the biggest number since post-prohibition. We dipped down to 40, and then we have come back. It is, it is remarkable, truly, and you are part of the reason, and we appreciate that you're here. So we want to thank the people that make Saver possible as well. Uh, you probably know there's two nights of Saver, which effectively doubled the uh, revelers, as it were, for the weekend, which is terrific. 2,000 people each night, and it's still sold out just like that. Um, so our, uh, the other people that make this possible are Ray's Beverage Group, Brewery, Brewery Omegang, Dogfish Head, Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams, CraftBeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, The Brooklyn Brewery, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Saranac, Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, Victory Brewing Company, Crosby & Baker Limited, Draft Magazine, GreatBrewers.com, Oak Beverages Incorporated, and Spiegelau. And pay attention, everybody. Make sure that you take your glasses, that special glass with you tonight. There will not be additional glassware on the floor. Do you got that? Make sure you take that glassware with you tonight. It's a beautiful glassware. It is part of your ticket. It's a beautiful commemorative glass. And there will not be additional glassware once you get back on the floor tonight. So make sure you take that with you, please. They don't want to have to pack that home. Um, these, the po- this will be recorded and it will be available in a podcast so you can share this with friends and say, hey, I was in that room with Fred the Great. And so make sure that you share and that's available through craftbeer.com. Fantastic source. If you haven't been to craftbeer.com uh, online, it's one of my favorite sources. Yes, I'm biased at the same time. I am relatively computer illiterate and it's easy for me and it is fantastic source. Uh, beer and food, events, all kinds of great things. So be sure to support your local brewery because, um, let's see, most Americans live within 10 miles of a brewery. So there's no excuse for all, most of us to be able to get fresh beer. So we're excited about that. Um, uh, the BA also supports the Great American Beer Festival in Denver every year. Has anybody been to the GABF, the Great American Beer Festival? All right, that is the grandmother of all beer festivals, and it will be the 30th anniversary this year. It happens in Denver. It will be the last weekend of September into October this year, and it's... it's Excellent a, use of grandmother, by the way. Why, thank you. How apropos. But that's what Julia Ambassador of me. engaging women in beer. <laughs> Well done. Well, you know, Grandma's kind of embracing, so we just want her to reach out and give you a big old beer hug. Thanks. Well done. <laughs> so, with little further ado, I am going to introduce our fabulous guest this evening. Fred Biltman is from New Holland Brewing in Michigan. And as we know... Thank you, Carmen. Michigan has certainly experienced probably a more amplified uh, recession and uh, the breweries in Michigan have done a tremendous job at, at literally helping the economy in that state. How many breweries do you have in Michigan right now? Over Fred? 90. Uh, over 90. Wow. That is fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. And so there's another testimony to the fact that American craft brewers can help our economy. Did you know that over 100,000 jobs proper in the United States are from craft breweries directly? 100,000. Never mind the suppliers, the vendors, and so forth. 
that's why this event is also in D.C. The Brewers Association recognized that they needed to get in front of the legislators, and there are some legislators on the floor tonight, including Peter DeFazio from my home state of Oregon, that are down there. And you be sure and keep crowing loud and proud. Support what you can. Speak up. It, makes, it does make a difference, and we need to keep making a difference. So I'll get off that soapbox. All right, so the evening's going to unfold like this. Fred has five fantastic tastes for us tonight. We're going to move right along. I get to be the heavy. So if you have questions, you're welcome to speak up. If we need to redirect, you'll just have to forgive me and go with the flow. So um, with very little further ado, which I think I said first, Fred Biltman is a beer evangelist. Amen, Brother Fred. And uh, he is with New Holland Brewing, and uh, he's going to lead us through this fabulous five tasting. Now, a little tip. You're going to get your chocolate passed out here next. Charlie, can you get on that? And there's going to be, you get a round plate, and there's going to be a foil-covered chocolate, and that one needs to be at 12 o'clock in front of you. Six o'clock. Six o'clock? Yeah. Six o'clock. Okay. So um, Fred's got an order to this wonderful madness that we call beer and chocolate. And so, Fred, take it away. Thank you very much. And thank you all for coming to Savor. And not only Savor, but coming to this great salon. I'm really looking forward to spending a little time with you. We're going to explore some flavors. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, pairing in general. Uh, We're also uh, pairing all vintage beers, so we can talk about aging beer and um, not only the flavors that are in front of us tonight, but maybe, um, you know, any other insights that come to us about what beers you may want to age or or how these have done. Foil at 6 o'clock, and we're going to work from 12 o'clock counterclockwise. So um, we have some really nice treats with us, Uh, not only the beers, but uh, I've worked with Gail Ambrosius for a number of years now. She sat up here with me uh, two or three years ago when we did a beer and chocolate salon here at uh, one of the early savers. Um, She has been named by by many people as one of the uh, best box of chocolate or the greatest chocolatier this last year. She got all sorts of PR, and Oprah has uh, saluted her box of chocolate. So it's it's upside-down world for Gail. She's making tremendous chocolates with her crew there in Madison, Wisconsin, and all of these chocolates are from them. And so I'll I'll do my best at speaking to chocolates. Uh, I've certainly had enough opportunities doing events with Gail uh, to learn. We'll see how... How right far on. I've come. Let's bring it. Um, so uh, it's really cool. You know, I've been doing beer and food now for about as long as I can remember doing beer. I've been in the beer business for 20 years. Uh, I can remember when the first beer dinner I was asked to do was kind of, you know, I was a beer salesman and it was, you're supposed to go there and talk about your beer at some point and you didn't know what the menu was ahead of time and the food and the beer didn't always come out at the same time. And, <laughs> They were fairly popular things, but only a few people did them, and they were kind of like a good excuse to, to have an early, um, you know, drink and supper on a Saturday afternoon in Chicago. <laughs> and, you know, over time, we've just really witnessed um, people engage in a much more thoughtful, uh, mindful way. And we're seeing the bridges between beer and food become, uh, to blossom in front of our very eyes. We're, we're watching the choices we have in beer flavors uh, become much more diverse um, and unending. We're seeing choices that we didn't have before, beer styles that have been created in the last 30 minutes probably. Um, but, you know, we have more choice than ever before. We're in the midst of the greatest beer market in the world, I believe. Can I get an amen? Because American brewers, of course, we borrowed a lot of styles from, you know, the old world, from Europe and other influences. And, but now we're at the place of innovation where those were a stepping, that was a stepping point. And, and now, while our country kind of suffered uh, a turn there where we kind of went backwards a little bit flavor-wise and we lost the regional breweries, we lost the neighborhood breweries, and we lost some, some of those companies and some of those styles, now we're coming back and we have this, this historic look at, at influence but we have much more technique, much more opportunities, much more technology and ability to make whatever we can imagine. So that is an incredible opportunity, and it makes nights like tonight possible. All right. So round I guess one. It, round one. Round one. That foil. Ginger puts a soapbox out, and I step on it. That's right. Let's go. So Fred. let's go ahead and start with the first beer and the first chocolate, uh, which is at twelve o'clock. So you got a little candied orange peel on top. This is a uh, what's called a Cointreau truffle. And so they steep, uh, they steep candied orange peel in sweet cream 
with some essential orange oil and Cointreau. So you have a nice citrus character balanced with the, uh, with the chocolate. And then this is paired with uh, Golden Camp, which is a Saison. And so this was the first year that we brewed our Saison. It was a little stronger than it is now uh, as it's become our summer seasonal. But Saison is going to focus or is going to feature its, uh, its Belgian ale yeast, its Abbey ale yeast. It's going to feature characters of fermentation, which can be fruity esters. It can be spiciness. Um, I get a, a real sense of black pepper. But I feel like in this case, in this pairing, the orange peel and the Cointreau and the chocolate is going to really bring the citrus character of the beer forward. And the, uh, and the beer is going to kind of embrace that and kind of... Um, to me, the, the fact that the, the chocolate maker here, Gail, has woven orange and chocolate together, that may be a little atypical, right? And so I wouldn't immediately think Saison and chocolate, right? And this is part of what I want to talk about tonight is like chocolate isn't just chocolate and stout. Hey, that beer tastes like chocolate, so let's put its chocolate next to it. Same, same. That's one way to pair. Another way to pair is saying that orange in this chocolate has an opportunity because Saison pairs well with citrus. So that opens the door to the chocolate because the orange is already paired to the chocolate. So that's a, that's a fundamental in pairing that will be an element you can use in anything. If you latch onto one flavor, it can be the door to the rest of the dish. Now, Fred, when you, when you do pairings, because I'm sure you've lost track of how many you've done, because you've done so many wonderful ones, do you have any um, tips for people when they taste beer and food together? Do you have a particular method or technique that you like to encourage people to try? Um, you know, I'm fairly organic about this stuff. And, you know, most of my team at the brewery realize that questions get more questions. And mm-hmm. I'm, I don't think there's one way to do it. It depends on which I'm... Test, if, I'm, if I'm in menu planning, it depends on which I'm gauging. And so I tend to be food first and then follow with the beverage. But, it, but pretty soon it's a chicken or the egg thing because I'm likely going to taste each of them a couple of times. Sure. And so at that point, you're going back and forth. I think my best advice is to um, slow yourself and listen sure. to what's going on and let things sit in your mouth for a little bit and come right. to temperature. Like with chocolate, let it coat your palate for a minute. Right. And let some of the earthy background flavors that aren't primary come forward. Right on. Beer is the same thing. I, more often than not, I think the most exciting pairs are when you excite a secondary flavor that wasn't mm. there as prevalent before. Because we've already tasted the primary flavor. That's what we know about that food or that beer. Sure. When we excite another flavor that came out of the corner and, and got its moment right. in the sun, that's when your mind goes, ah, yeah. I haven't ever had this that way before. Right. And pairing is about change. Yes. It's not eating something great and drinking something great next to each other. It's, it's putting them next to each other with the expectation that they're going to change the experience for the better. Right on. And so if you're not trying to excite some action, you're eating and drinking and maybe well, but you're not necessarily pairing. Right. Excellent. And one thing, while Fred takes a well-deserved swig of his beer, you've got taste buds all over your mouth. You've got them on the roof of your mouth. You've got them on the side of your mouth. You've got them in the back of your throat and on your tongue, of course. And so we notice how flavors, you know, we get the after flavors and we taste something at the beginning and the middle and the end and so forth. There's good reason for that because as the beer and the food migrates through your mouth, you're going to get some different sensations. And like Fred said, every corner of those happy, happy taste buds then gets the opportunity to really get involved with that. Yes? Where do we age the Saison? Yes, we age it in our, uh, in our refrigerated warehouse. So we have an area of our warehouse that's dedicated as kind of a cellar. This is all bottle-aged, yes. This was bottled in 2008. What's What's the carbonation? Well, we're not doing anything different to age it. We are looking at beers that are um, beers that are going to again. Cellaring is a lot like pairing. If you have the expectation of favorable change, it's a good reason to hold on to the beer. It may pan out, it may not, but if you have the expectation or the hope, then it's worth holding on to it. And so this was a little stronger saison, and um, we laid some back to kind of see how it would age. And we what we found is. Even with our lower ABV saison, it, it happens to age super well. I think there's there's a characteristic of that yeast that that uh, manages some of the degradation well, and I think prevents some of it from accelerating faster. 
So is this a beer, Fred, that you would drink both fresh and you would still age? Absolutely. Okay. Um, and, and in fact, you know, we've modified this brand to be a 6% um, Saison for the mm. summer. So we're not aging it ourselves anymore. Excellent. It's no longer really a cellar beer because we modified it down to be more of a session yeah. beer. But what we found is even that 6% Saison is aging really beyond our expectations. Really well. So we're finding some of that to be style, not alcohol. Yeah, it's really nice. It's got a really nice zesty carbonation to it, Fred. Yeah. And yeah. frankly, this beer has exceeded any of our expectations in terms of um, how it's aged. And what I like about this pairing, too, is it's really eliciting the orange. And, and, it's, and the orange is, um, to me, kind of lasting throughout as the warmth of the chocolate fades away. I have this nice little orange finish sure. um, that's, that I think is being accentuated by the beer. Right. And it's bringing it on the beer, which brightens this beer up, um, yes. I, I think, in a nice way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's livelier. I mean, if you taste this beer a few minutes after you've had the chocolate, as an aged saison, there's a softness to it. And there's, um, there's kind of a, a blended character to the flavors. And I feel like with the pairing is when it gets excited again, and there's this, there's this brightness to it. The citrus jumps forward, mm. and it, it, it tastes livelier. Very nice. Uh, this is about seven and a half. Excellent. Wonderful. Yeah. It's aging well, just like all of us, and we right? Originally brewed it in, <laughs> we originally brewed it intending to make a strong Saison, and then, and then liked it so much we made it a summer seasonal, so we it's modified really nice. it. Down. Fred, can you, can you talk just for a minute about Saison? It's a style that's becoming more popular, but I'm, I'm not sure everybody understands what it is. Can you just give us a description of where it came from briefly? Um, yeah, Saison, there's a bunch of different stories. There's some folklore about where it came from. It's, uh, it's French for season, and it really originated in Belgium. And um, the story, as I understand it, it was a beer for the workers that they would brew in the winter. They could let it ferment hot uh, in, the, in the farmhouse breweries. And they, it would be a low ABV session beer that they would essentially bring out in jugs and bury in the field as thirst-quenching beer for the workers. So it was drank in the summer, brewed in the winter. So often you see these yin and yang of, mm-hmm. of production and drinking. Right. And, um, and I really, it is an up-and-coming style, and I think it's so flexible like many other Belgian styles. You can accentuate spice. You can accentuate esters. You can, it's nice and drinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it as a, as a flavor-forward option for summer beers. That's excellent. What do you think? Thumbs up? Yeah. Thumbs up? Very nice. Excellent. Thank you for that beer. All right, your servers. Yes, one question. Go for it. Did the original saisons have Brettanomyces in them? Uh, th- we do not with this. No, this is an Abbey Ale yeast. Uh, we're fermenting it hot and we're encouraging ester production, but we're not. It is not a Brett saison. Um, it is a little bit of both. We're actually running hot water over the fermenters to. Uh, to let it get warmer than it would otherwise. So we do have uh, temperature-controlled fermenters in a cold room. So the cold room would kind of inhibit it from getting out of control, which normally would be a nice check and balance. (laughs) And in this case, we're actually uh, kind of tricking it or we're cascading hot water over the outside of the tank. You're pulling a fast one on the beer. Yeah. All right, excellent. We're going to move right along. The next one, Fred, what do we have up? Well, we, the next one, we have Dragon's Milk from 2007, and we have this with a shiitake mushroom uh, truffle. Now, this is one of my favorite pairings. Uh, it's a beer that's close to my heart. Um, again, when you talk about pairings, I find this to be a beer that can go just about anywhere. Um, it's a barrel-aged stout. We used to not really call it a stout because we didn't start it as a stout and then put it in the barrel. This was a beer that was designed for the barrel, and we're actually... Um, yeah, I'll take care of that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really, really nice. Sorry about that. I was slow and emptying you don't my have glass. To be sorry. Um, so, Dragon's Milk is a beer that was designed for the barrel. We are taking this dark uh, nine or ten percent stout, and then we are aging it for ninety days in bourbon barrels. We are aging half of it in first-use bourbon barrels and half of it in barrels that have had beer in it before. That allows us an opportunity to blend back and marry that the bourbon and wood character and have it have a tempered uh, barrel-aged character. Yummy. And I find it it can be delicious with dessert and chocolate and caramel. It can be delicious with earthy flavors like mushrooms and beef. 
It can be delicious with balsamic and greens. It can go just about anywhere in a meal. And, and so then what I love, and what I love about Gail is, so then she says, you got to try this new truffle that I've been doing. It's got shiitake mushrooms in it. And I'm had thinking, you had a truffle with mushrooms in it before? No, I hadn't. And, and I'm just thinking, well, I was always torn in a meal whether to take dragon's milk towards the savory or take it towards the chocolate. And ah. all of a sudden, you've got you them together. To <laughs> and so this is kind of a pairing that's, that's meant for it. And I think if you go back and forth, some of the flavors that we're going to get from barrel aging are vanilla from the oak. You can get coconut. You also have, you know, the roasted malts that are going to bring chocolate and coffee. So you can go back and forth. The beer is going to accentuate either the chocolate or the mushroom. But I think overall you're going to get an earthiness yeah. out of this pairing. That is really nice. Yes, sir. Question with the clean shaven head. <gasps> They're so excited they can't help themselves. Okay, this should be round that's dusted on top. A round truffle with little dust on, little shiitake dust on top. If you follow the moon, go left. You're going counterclockwise. 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 Right. Does anybody have any questions for Fred on this course with the shiitake muckers? Has anybody had a, a mushroom truffle before? Okay, very good. The question is, um, is dragon's milk a strong ale or a stout? And the answer is really, it could be whichever one you'd like to call it. Um, we, it's kind of, we used to call it, we used to call it a strong ale, and there was a lot of ambiguity about that, and people weren't sure what it meant, and it got listed in various ways incorrectly, and we, it's really more like a stout, I think, because it has a strong roasted character, there's a lot of dark malt. Um, and it comes out with it, chocolate, like, and, normally if I drink it, it doesn't, it doesn't, this is the one, of, this is the beer beers that I can actually buy. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I do think that it's more like a stout than anything else because it doesn't have the caramel action of, say, a barley wine or English old ale that people started to get it confused with. But if you, I mean, the honest opinion at the brewery, we don't care. It's dragon's milk. And so, what to us it became, it became a point of simplifying it. What's what's going to be the easiest for the consumer to understand what to expect? And we came to stout from that point of view, not from a style guideline point of view. Yeah, I think you should have a couple dragon's milks and talk about it. And if you don't come to a conclusion, repeat the following night. Excellent. So what do you guys think of that pairing? Anybody picking anything new up? Anything interesting? Soy sauce. Is anybody getting kind of a dryness? A little bit of a... Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, I could see, Fred, when you suggested uh, going well with beef... Yeah. Or some other umami kind of flavors. Absolutely. That would be extraordinary. Now, what are the, what are the malts? Of course, I'm going to assume that everybody in the room knows that the color in your beer definitely comes from your ingredients. Your, uh, duh. But um, your malt in specific, you know, that's going to impart the color. So what malts are well, used in this? There's six different malted barleys, oh and then there's also flaked barley. Oh, okay. And so I don't know if I get the six right, but, I mean, we have still a fair amount of two-row, but then you've got mm-hmm. black. And you've got some uh, s- some other dark roasted malts, and okay. a total of six. It's really a nice blend. And um, and then the flake barley is going to bring a creaminess to it that's a little bit different. That softens yeah, that a little bit. Definitely, kind of almost like the oatmeal stouty kind of yep. mouthfeel. That's really nice, and it's a beautiful color. And as most, I'm going to assume also that most of you know that you should serve your beer in different glassware. Um, that's why you get to take this with you. You know, it's it's great. At the end of the day, it's your beer, so serve it in what you want to drink it. At the same time, that tapered pint that's so popular, it's only so popular because it's the economics. It's the cheapest glassware you can buy, and it is generally not kind to your beer. So think about the different shapes and learn about the shapes of 
glassware for your beer. I mean, you look at the wine industry, and they've done a tremendous job at saying, okay, if it's this kind of wine, consider this glassware and so forth. And so um, do you want to comment on glassware, first? Well, yeah, I'll probably buck the trend and, and hopefully not contradict you um, well, go ahead, though. I'm, too I'm wildly okay because I agree, I agree with what you're saying. But I also, again, think, you know, we can simplify things at times. I don't – there are opportunities to change per, every style of glass per style of beer. You know, there, there are ways to accentuate the experience with, with the right glassware and making subtle changes. But I also think a glass like this, stemware with a nice shape that's going to help aroma, mm-hmm. is a great universal glass. I'm happy drinking beer out of this glass every style. Right on. Or just about every style. Excellent. And can you tell me um, why? Can you tell the crowd why that's that's a? Well, I like stemware because as I hold it and it's up off the table, that the temperature is going to be um, more moderate change, and I like the shape of the glass because it's going to point the aroma up and it's going to help me get a nice nose, and I can mm-hmm. swirl it if I want to accentuate that more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a pleasant shape, both from a flavor point of view and from a temperature point of Excellent. view, and I think those are the basics. Right on. Um, I also like the size. I. I don't know if I'm getting old and finicky or, or not, but, I, you know, I like 8 to 12 ounces much more than I like 16 to 20. Because, sure. again, I can kind of manage whether I want right. to let it warm up or whether I drink it when it's cold or whether I want to drink something different right. next. I mean, right. you know, beer, there's so many choices about being flexible. Mm-hmm. And so I like, and, and also as you get into big beers, maybe getting off the tangent of pairing, but so many times when you, people say, um, I've got a couple of, couple of lines in here that, Dragon's Milk used to be the beer at the end of our tasting. It was the biggest beer we did, and it got the oohs and the ahs, and it's 10%, and everybody stops for a minute. <coughs> and I joke that it's become the session beer of our high-gravity series because it's still 10%, but when I do a tasting, it's like in the middle. There's all these other big beers right after it. And, and I drink it every day. So nice. what defines a session beer? Something that you want to drink right. at lunch? I want to drink Dragon's Milk at lunch. It's right. a session beer. Which session are you doing? So, right. so but... So the other point of this is that's important is that when somebody says, how big is that beer? And you say 10% and they go, oh, I better not. That's, I challenge that perception because it's right. 10%. It's not, wine is 14%. And nobody's, right. nobody's balking at having a glass of wine at lunch. Right. So the reality is if we serve a serving size that's appropriate, if it's a six or eight ounce glass of a big beer, right. it's polite and enjoyable at any time, and it's no longer this big beer that everybody needs to be afraid of. Right. There's complex, deep flavors in here, but mm-hmm. these are enjoyable beers anytime. Excellent. Can as I long as we know how to again? serve them. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. That's right. <laughs> we thought this was beer and chocolate, but it's really. That's right. This is the, the beer church of beer. <laughs> so, how Brian about. We- our pastor today. So how about we get into some black tulip and lemongrass and ginger? There you go. Um, Excellent. So uh, black tulip triple. Um, This truffle has the uh, candied ginger on top with a little red hair of saffron. Okay. Or thread, I should call it. And this is with uh, black tulip, which is our triple um, from a while back. This is from 2008. We are using some Michigan beet sugar in this triple which will help um, elevate alcohol without all the, all the uh, body and malt character, so it makes it a little drier, cleaner, crisper beer. The chocolate is round and has a piece of candied ginger on top with some saffron now, layered into it. You, uh, beet sugar from Michigan. Yes. Where do you grow beets in, uh, sugar beets in Michigan? Uh, mostly in the northeast corner, I believe, in Port Huron area and the Thumb. Okay. Everybody look over here. Okay. Or the mid-Michigan area. All right, very good. And so it's really a, it has all the same properties of Belgian candy sugar, which is okay. all the rage in a lot of beers. Right. It's, it's got a little different um, crystal shape, but other than that, it's technically the same. So um, it's cheaper, it's local, it supports our local farmers, and Absolutely. makes great beer. Right on. Okay. All right. So shh, shh, shh. triples. Triples are another Belgian style. They're going to be slightly sweeter, slightly bigger, maybe more estery than Saison. But I think there's some, familiar, there's some similarities between the two. Fred, when you say bigger, will you define that? I tend to mean, when I say bigger, I usually mean both in body and in alcohol. Okay, thank you. Um, it can be either, but I think if you say it without um, additional description, it probably means both. Okay, very good. Thank you. Um, Oh, I'll catch up. 
All right. So where did the uh, um, where did the black tulip come from then? The name. Well, sure. It's a rather elusive. Is it botanically? Is it impossible? That's what they say. That's what they say. Um, so they say our hometown of Holland has uh, is host to North America's biggest tulip festival. And um, back when the brewery started, Holland Holland was uh, this is slightly before I joined the brewery, but Holland was not the most beer forward or alcohol forward town. Some slightly conservative town. So the brewery got started to help change that, and. Um, that was, this was a time when Tulip Time was on city property. They didn't allow the sale of beer on city property. And so um, my business partner, Brett, set out to make an unofficial renegade beer of Tulip Time, which was a black tulip, wow. um, for its elusiveness to tulip breeders. And there was a whole, there's a whole other story there. <laughs> but I find it to be a really delicious beer. This is another beer that's good fresh. Wow. It also shows age really well. It softens. Some of that sweetness goes away. And you get this nice, soft, delicate transition. You do get some of that. Um, I think you get the depth and the and the the kind of the the deep character of of sugar sweetness without the sweetness of it, or of sugar without character, let's say. Yeah, of, character yeah. more than sweetness. Right. That is a lovely beer. Um, and I, I've always found that I think it has a nice dry finish too. Mm-hmm. And the dry finish to me has always. Sometimes pairings about knowing things, and sometimes it's about instincts. And I've always felt that this was a good pair with ginger, and it has always delivered. Um, and there's makes that there's that better. sweetness dryness play with candied ginger that's going mm-hmm. on. And to me, so this is a complementary pairing where you're in one way mm-hmm. and contrasting in another. Excellent, because you can compare, you can contrast, just like you were talking about earlier. You can decide how to pair your beer with your food and get completely different experiences, right. and, and then you can follow whatever rabbit trail you want to follow on that. Right. And this is another example of, and this is maybe one of the greatest things about doing chocolate pairings is teaching this particular skill in terms of pairing with dinners, mm. like a full plate of dinner or a course dinner, is that you can link to one significant, one flavor that you find significant in a good pair, and that opens the doors to everything else in the composition. So you don't have to pair course by course. You can pair to one dish, you can pair to one flavor in one dish, and it'll make sense for the rest Mm -hmm. of the plate. Here, I wouldn't think chocolate when I drink this beer. It's not my first pairing thought. But lemongrass and ginger, absolutely. So um, that we're we're opening the door to the chocolate Mm -hmm. by hinging to something that's already composed by Gale. Oh, that is fantastic. And then the chocolate becomes an enveloping, a, an enveloping character, a nice coat around this triple that makes perfect sense, right. although it's counterintuitive to what we thought, would have thought before tasting it. If I haven't gotten yes, too heady. Yes, go for it. Are there a lot of... Okay, are there a lot of chocolates that are made with beer is the question. Um, I don't see a lot of them out commercially. I imagine, um, basically, when you're making truffles, you know, you have opportunities because you're steeping cream so you can bring in other ingredients. So I've had several made with beer. I think it can be very interesting and delicious. Um, why there aren't more of them, I don't know. I don't know if it changes the shelf life at all. Um, but I, I encourage it. I've made a uh, chocolate mousse with our rum and our stout um, that was really just replacing coffee with stout in terms of, like, uh, adapting a you know, a traditional French recipe. So there's lots of opportunities to bring it in. Yeah. Uh, when you're making composed chocolate mm-hmm. things rather than chocolate, chocolate. Beer misu. Right. Oh, absolutely. yeah, that is actually... Have you tried beer misu before? One of my writers uses moyas, which is chai-like herb, to make beer misu, and Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we, we encourage that definitely. In fact, there's a there's a, a pastry chef in Oregon who made up a recipe for beer masseu, and she used it. Oh, it's it, you, you share it with some other talent. The other thing about that is that start asking for it. Just like you want to ask for the beers on your menu, the reason they will get more and more popular and that we will reclaim the vaunted place on the table for the beer is for you to ask for it. You've got to ask for it. You've got to keep asking for it. How many times you go in a restaurant, you know, we are not, we are not racist. We, we agree with wine. We agree with spirits. New Holland makes some fabulous distilled spirits. 
you're only going to get what you ask for when you ask for it. And so help them create a better beer menu for you by asking, by suggesting. Don't just say, I want more beer. Tell them, hey, I want this kind of beer, or I'd like to see this kind of beer on the menu. And be, be very vocal about what you want, because darn it, the craft beer industry wouldn't be where it's at if everybody hadn't demanded it and pushed it forward. So you can do that as a consumer. Ask your chocolatier, ask your baker, ask your cheesemonger. There's all kinds of amazing food products all over the universe that can you, you can make with beer and, and just give them that creative push. Say, I will, I will patronize you if, yes, if you, yeah. if you help keep pushing this forward because Beer is an incredible ingredient. Well, and I think one of the... I'll grab your question in a second. I think one of the places to talk about this, too, um, is that we're really not campaigning for something commercial. We have an opportunity to talk from, from the roots of flavor. And that one of the reasons this works tonight is that um, when you look at the flavors featured in beer and you look at, okay, what do we talk about? When we talk about malt flavors, we talk about roastiness, we talk about toasting toastiness, we talk about sweetness, caramelization, nuttiness, fruit can come from that. When you talk about hops, you're talking about citrus and acidity and floralness. When you talk about yeast, you're back to fruit, you're talking about spice. All these things, you're talking about sweet versus dry. This is a range of flavors that every candy maker, every cook, every chef has in their toolbox when they think about dishes, whether it's pairing, creating, cooking, serving, whatever. We have a range of flavors in beer that are very versatile and very uh, food forward. So when you come at it from a, hey, I like beer with dessert because X, Y, and Z flavors are what I'm looking for, there's, there's no argument that it's well served. Right, absolutely. They're incredibly versatile. And one thing to point out, too, it, it, once again, we're not demonizing anything else, but you look at certain beverages and there might be a single ingredient. Beer has four right off the bat. So you've not only got those four ingredients by themselves, but you've got the infinite pairing. And as they age, you, you know, it's a living organism. And so it changes and grows and so forth. Yes, sir. What's that? Coriander? No, it is not. Yes. Yeah, all that spiciness and, and yeah, all that, all that breadiness is coming out of the yeast. Now, I think that what happens is as it ages, some of the sweetness goes away. And again, remember that vintaging beer is essentially beer being degraded over time, but it just happens to show it gracefully, right? So <laughs> oxidation is really, you know, beer losing its freshness and, and being damaged by oxygen. Um, and that can bring a paperiness and, and some and, you know, breadiness. And with certain styles, it's favorable. And so you catch it at the right time and the right period of time, and it's a soft, bready presentation, and that beer becomes kind of open to new, to new avenues um, based on the fact that it's aging gracefully. Absolutely. We've got a question right over there. Yes. Was that? It was 2008 Black Tulip. So it's been... Uh, the Pilgrim's Dole is uh, also 2008. Right. It just so happens we're drinking almost all 2008 beer tonight, with the Dragon's Milk being 2007. And we've started a vintage beer program, so we, we have kind of keep a record of about, we probably have about six years' worth of beers. And I just happened to pull out beers that I thought were at, at a nice peak and appropriate for these chocolates and Excellent. happened to hit the 2008 yeah. wheel. yeah. So Thank what you. do you think about that candied ginger and that pairing? Was that... Tasty? Thumbs up? Was that a surprise for most people? Yeah, you wouldn't normally think of candy with beer. I'm was sorry, what was that? Is there any rye? Is there any rye in the grain bill? No. Excellent. I think it's all two-row Michigan beet sugar and, uh, again, Abbey Ale yeast. Excellent. Lovely. Can you talk for just one minute, Fred, on how much yeast contributes to flavor? Well, it depends. And also, you know, just to be clear, I'm one of the four managing partners of the brewery. I'm not the brewmaster. My business partner, John, is. I am our beer and food specialist, and I run distribution and branding. Um, fairly production-oriented in terms of how my brain works with flavor. But um, 
just so you know, some of these decisions are John's, not mine. Um, ye- how, what does yeast contribute to flavor and how much? And that question is going to be style by style, brewer by brewer, because basically brewers have the opportunity both by selection of yeast, which type of yeast, what temperature you ferment it at, and other tricks of the trade. Are you looking to accentuate those flavors or are you looking to prevent them from ever being created? Or are you looking to, if they are created, to, to subdue them and put them in the back of the flavor profile? Those are all style decisions that the brewers are making. So in these particular styles, triples and saisons, we're looking to accentuate and push forward the flavors of fermentation. Ales in general, you're going to have a certain fermentation character forward. Mm-hmm. Fruitiness of an ale yeast, because you're fermenting warm and fast, right. is going to be part of that character, although not necessarily primary. Mm. Um, then when you get into cleaner styles, you know, light lagers or other things like it, you're looking for a bright, clean presentation, and you're looking to mute the character of fermentation, which in and, in and of itself is the character of that fermentation, sure. which right. is that it's very flavor neutral. Right on. Thank you. It just, it's interesting. I, I just learned that a few years ago, how much the yeast influences the beer and like you said it's brewer per brewer and it's style per style and batch per batch for that matter it's a living organism so it can really it can really yeah be i mean it depends on and thing. the batch per batch depends on are you making a one-off batch where you can have fun and see what it does or do you have to make it the same next week sure right all right let's move right along we got course four pilgrim's dole this is a wheat wine it's made with 50 percent wheat uh cousin of the barley wine um so both of those styles are going to feature um caramelization. So, you know, you're looking for that reaction of, of, uh, of that we know so well in, in browning sugars and browning meats. And, and, and caramelization is such a feature of food and drink, at least in beer world, it's remarkable. So in this case, we've really gone to, to uh, showcase that. It goes through an extended boil to really accentuate that character. Um, and then pairing it with the caramel is only going to mm compliment that more it's really yummy and you know you look at and again you know a lot of times people think beer and chocolate you know you're crazy until until i explain (laughs) it to them and then they still think i'm crazy but they think the beer and chocolate's a good idea and caramel and salt seems counterintuitive to us right but how many browned things do we like salt on what do you put on your pretzel and why is a pretzel good do you want a white pretzel do you want a pretzel that's been browned where you've caramelized those um carbs and sugars in the dough and so you you brown the bread and then you put salt on it and we like that combination so sometimes pairing is about looking at things that we already like and presenting them in another context and that's what gail's done with the caramel already Mm -hmm. it's saying hey caramelized sugars and salt make sense together so why not put some some salt on my beautiful caramel here excellent and then i'm saying if that works for the caramel it's going to work for a pilgrim's dole which is presenting these very similar caramelized flavors and happens to be wrapped in chocolate and who doesn't like caramel and chocolate together so these are all things our palate already understands we just may not have thought beer and caramel with chocolate before we may have thought it in a candy bar or in a bread or in a dessert or in a crisp or Mm -hmm. i mean but our our palate knows these things and knows them as enjoyable listen to your palate yes So I haven't eaten this one yet, but this, to me, is one of our, uh, it's one of the home run pairings. I mean, I love all of these, but um, the sea salt caramel in Pilgrim's Dole always seems like it's cheating. Like, I didn't work hard enough <laughs> to put that on the menu. Like, it's too easy. Two simple things are great together. So I, I'm curious, to keep chewing, but the salt Absolutely. will accentuate, just like in cooking, your salt is going to bring out the flavors and brighten it up and so forth and so on. I'm sure Fred's going to have some more to say to it. I'm curious why you call it Pilgrim's Dole. Well, Pilgrim's Dole, um, this beer was named prior to me joining the brewery, but Pilgrim's Dole was the ration that, uh, that uh, monasteries or other places would give to wayward travelers that are stopping by. Okay. So the pilgrims, the, the nomadic pilgrims of the area would come by and they'd be able to get you know, bread and ale uh, as a ration. And so we've you know, wordsmithed a little bit. But we look at this as kind of a nod to that time, a nod to that idea, and a nod to uh, a nourishing beer for the uh, cultural pilgrims of our time. All right. So you just keep doling it out. Yeah, we do. (laughs) I got to keep drinking if that's the way we're going. Thumbs up to that one. Did you like that? Is that good? That's yummy. That's right. 
All you right. got a, You got a thumbs down on the doling it out I, and a thumbs up on the yeah, zero. Yeah, well, it was a bad joke, so that's okay. <laughs> Indeed. So it is really interesting, though. Salt is going to provide a perception of sweetness to its counterpart. Hmm. And this is already a Swedish beer. A sweet, uh, Sweet-ish, not Swedish. Right. But I, but I think it still embraces it very well. Um, mm-hmm. But salt enacts a lot of liveliness in your palate mm-hmm. and is going to change the things around it. And I think it does so in a very pleasing, pleasing way here. That's really And I nice. think it prevents it, even though I said that it will invoke sweetness, to me, to me, it makes a brightness in this pairing that the two of these things without the salt would feel heavy to me. And instead, I feel like my palate's still getting treated lightly. Yeah. And it doesn't feel cloying. It's very nice. It lifts Excellent. it maybe the way citrus yes. might. Nicely done. Cheers. All right. Yeah. All, All right. right. I think we've gone far too long in this session without raising our glass oh, yeah. to the Brewers Association and Savor. Cheers. So let's raise our glass. Woo! Cheers. We have another one left, but I wanted a little community there. All right. We've got our last beer coming up here. It is the Night Tripper Imperial Stout. Most of you probably know Imperial um, has, means that it's a higher alcohol. Uh, certainly a very, usually a very, very full-bodied, wonderful, wonderful beer that should be uh, savored since we're at I'm savor. Oh, you uh, take your time and, and enjoy your beer in moderation. Always be responsible yes. with that. And oh, uh, no, we're going to pair that with a cinnamon and cayenne truffle. And I love, Fred, I love pairing uh, peppers with beer. So I can't wait to hear about this beer and this pairing. Well, we've talked about um, two of the four C's that I believe are in pairing. We talked about complementary flavors. We talked about contrasting flavors. The third thing that I think happened a few times here is creating a a third flavor that only happens when the two things are together. Um, And then the fourth one to me is cleansing, which happens... Mm in many pairings as well. And so cleansing your palate is not whisking away the memory, but it's, it's refreshing your palate so your next bite is fresh again. So this can happen with sweet things, fatty foods like breeze and double cream cheeses. Chocolate is an example too, but especially those other rich creamy things, they can hang around your palate for a while and, and limit your freshness, your next uh, taste. Spice will do that too. We've all had food where once it's hot, you kind of keep eating, but you tasted the first bite and then at some That's point you finish. Well, a good pairing will let you taste each bite along the way because it will let the flavor of that character, that spice, come forward but maybe uh, diminish the heat on the tail end. And so you can do that a few different ways. I think in this case, the roastiness of a big stout and the the boldness and the the richness of the body is going to both allow those flavors to live. It's going to stand up to a strong truffle and some heat and cinnamon, but it's also going to let it, you know, they're, they're going to equally paired in terms right. of intensity. But then it's going to calm that down and let your next bite be fresh again. Excellent. And the roastiness of it, I think, is the key. Um, and so it does that without fighting it, though, is, right. it, is important. Right. You're talking about pairing intensity. And I like that you said that because that's when you're talking about pairing your beer with your food. The intensity is one thing you should... Uh, well, you might want to pay attention to. Not all, at the end of the day, it's your f- beer and it's your food. At the same time, the intensity level is a lot of what you're looking at when you are marrying flavors and when you're contrasting flavors as well. The intensity more probably than the complementing yeah. or the comparing. Matching intensity, I think, is a first step, and it opens up the doors to all the other steps. Right. I, I love, by the way, that you started us with an imperial stout. I think it's fun to come out of the shoot with something unexpected. And like you said, it, it, it's, it's a sessionable imperial, really, because you, if you graduate your serving and you do it where it's very moderate and it's, it's handleable, I think that's, I really liked that you pointed that out, Fred. Thank you. And so another thing that I want to point out with this pairing, and you guys should go ahead and dig in at this point, but besides the cleansing characteristics, Night Tripper as a stout has deep chocolate tones and a real richness to it. Uh, we don't use chocolate in it, but it is from the uh, from the Are malted using barley. Chocolate malt. Yes. Okay. And um, the beer itself is going to bring. So you've got a fairly spicy chocolate here. The beer itself is going to bring the truffle forward. So the Grenache that's inside, it's going to become richer. It's going to bring the countering parts of the truffle forward. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. The complementary parts of the pairing 
will elevate right. while cleansing the other. Yes. Amplify while cleansing. That's a good thing. Indeed. What do you guys think? We got a thumbs up on that one. Who likes the, the night tripper? Excellent. Very nice. We've got time for a few more questions for Fred. Hello. We've just got a few more minutes. Mind your P's and Q's, pints and quarts. Who's got a, fre- a question? A fresh one. A question for... If we're going to drink pints and quarts, we're going to be in trouble. I just got to tell you that. That may not quiet the room down. We're going to be getting rowdy up in here with pints and quarts. That's right. We can, and that'd be okay. Uh, who else has a question or even a comment for Fred, our fabulous beer evangelist tonight? Yes. Thank you, Scott. Great parents, yes. Thank yeah, you. Cheers to Fred. Woo! That's right. Excellent. So uh, you've, got, you've got your great glass, which remember, take with you. That's what you get for this evening. We're so glad you came. Um, we'll be up here for a few minutes, so you can take your time. Fred might have some parting shots, but I just want to take the moment to thank you again for coming out to Savor. We appreciate you supporting this event. Hope to see you in years future, if not tomorrow night. Um, 72 breweries, 144 pairings, 2,000 people a night. That's almost as many breweries as there are in Michigan. That's almost, uh, with 90. That's right. <laughs> so you need to go tour Michigan. Yeah, you can have your own saver any trip that you take to Michigan. Absolutely. So, Fred, do you have any, uh, any parting wisdom for us or anything else you'd like to share this evening? Well, I think what I'd like to share is that I appreciate you all coming out and that, you know, people ask me a lot. I've been doing pairings for some time, and, and I, I teach beer and food in some different settings and do a lot of beer dinners. And, I, you know, I, the one thing that I can put out there as a piece of advice is that the best weapon you have is your own palate and mindfulness. The pairing is not about knowing all of the science. It's not about, um, you know, like some, you know, palate memory of a wizard where you just know that everything's going to work. It's about tasting mindfully and following the paths that your palate reminds you that you may want to take. So you have what it takes to eat and drink well, and I encourage you to embrace it, and I thank you for already doing so because you're here, so you're one of us. And so to me, that's the exciting part about what craft brewers are bringing to this world is that I truly believe uh, we're making it a better place by giving people choices in food and drink. Amen. Thanks for coming, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Savor or further podcasts, visit craftbeerradio.com slash savor or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.